into the darkest recesses of our very soul and transforms us and makes us new. So, Father, we confess our need for you, our desire to be made new in the image of Jesus. And it is your spirit we need in us that does the transforming work that only you can do. So, Father, we pray this morning as Lamoris shares with us in just a few moments that you would speak through him, that it would be your voice that we hear, that you would challenge us and change us and renew us so that when we leave, we look more like Jesus than we entered into this place today. And so, Father, we trust these moments to you and really, we hopefully trust all our lives to you as well. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this this morning, as you make your way to your seat, um, it's my privilege to introduce my friend Lamoris Crawford to you. Uh, Lamoris is the chaplain for the Cincinnati Bengals, and Lamoris' life story is a picture of what the transforming grace of God does in and through us. And so it's been fun to watch him. We've known each other for just over 15 years, we, we realized on Friday. Um, but it's been fun to watch who he has become as a man, as a husband, as a father, um, but most importantly, as a person who desires desperately to follow Jesus with his life. So it's my privilege to welcome my friend, Lamoris Crawford, this morning. What up? Y'all awake? Y'all the crowd that sleep in? That's why y'all come to the late service? Man, y'all let the other people get a, a head start on you for the day. No, it's an honor to be here with you. That, that joke didn't fly over too well. Did I get it? I need to, like, put it in a different cultural context. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's an honor to be here with you. Um, I, I really don't count it lightly. Um, anytime I have the privilege of standing and preaching God's word, um, I take it seriously because I'm going to be judged for it. And so this isn't a show for me. Um, I literally think about the words that I say and pray that I'm led by the, by the Spirit of God because when I stand before him, he ain't going to clap because I have a gift to preach. He's going to want to know if I spoke the truth in love. And so that's why I'm here, and I'm grateful for your pastor. Um, I said this on Friday, but I have the privilege. I, I travel all over the country. I preach, and you guys are really blessed to have the pastor that you have. And I'm not just saying that because he's my friend and I've known him for 15 years, but I know it's hard for people and I know it's hard for you. And so you guys are so blessed. Um, so pray for him and his wife and his family. Love on them. If you got issues, you got drama, man, just take it to the Baptist church down the street. <laughs> um, just, just let it be. It's, he's got enough stress. He's got enough issues to deal with. Let the Baptist pass. He think once saved, always saved. So just... You're safe. Just, just do, live how you want to live, and you still go make it. Even though that ain't scripture, but just do what you got to do. Um, but, but no, seriously, they are great people, um, and, and you guys are blessed. So pray for them, love on them, encourage them, sow into their lives, bless them. Um, they're the leaders and shepherds of your souls. So make their job easier so that your spiritual life can be better. That really is the goal. That's Bible. If you don't want it, then that sucks for you. So that's just real. Um, and so I don't sugarcoat, as you can see, all my time. <laughs> and I don't believe God sugarcoats either. I believe he's very black and white. Uh, he doesn't do gray, and neither should we. Amen? So I always pray before I preach. I'll do that. Then I'll share my short story. 
because I realize there's a lot of people in the room who has not heard my story. And um, the Bible says we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so Jesus did his part already by dying on the cross for your sins. And now once you enter that story, uh, when you share that story, when your story become a part of his story, you shut the devil up. And so there's over almost 4,000 people who did not wake up this morning. And you so um, you share what God has done and is doing in your life. That's it. Now, all of us have different backgrounds. We come from different places. All of our story is different. But the key is that your story get in his story. And then your story becomes his story. And that story becomes powerful. And so let's pray. Father, thank you so much once again uh, for being here whom, amongst whom I consider the best on the planet the greatest on the planet, which is your church. And so, Holy Spirit, I invite you in this place. You will not be grieved. You will not be offended. I give you complete reign and authority. Holy Spirit, I ask you to articulate the Father's heart through my voice to his people. And I pray that every ear is open, every heart is open, every eye is open, and soft hearts are able to receive that which you have for them. And so invade this space. You take charge. I give you authority. Not my will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm originally from Chicago. I grew up in the projects on the south side of Chicago. My grandmother raised nine kids she had by five different baby fathers. And so my grandmother raised nine kids on welfare in the projects. And when I was 10 months old, my mother was murdered at the age of 17. And so my mom had my brother at 14, had me at 16. She was shot in the head at 17. Never met my dad. Don't know who he is. My family don't know who he is. My uncle was in the gang. Uh, he was murdered, shot through the head at 17. My aunt was in a domestic violent relationship. Her boyfriend murdered her at 28. And I had another aunt that died at 15 from a brain tumor from asbestos in the projects. So after my grandmother raised nine kids on welfare in the projects, four died. She raised nine grandkids on welfare in the projects. So I always grew up with the question mark on top of my head of who am I and why am I here? I always thought it was an accident. I lived for many, many years thinking that I was an accident and, they, and there was no reason for me to be here. And so I rebelled as a kid. My grandmother did the best she could with what she had after raising kids, you know, back to back. She struggled. Um, no one in my family finished high school at that point. Nobody in my family went to college. So education was on a back burner. Uh, mainly my grandmother had one ruler in our house and it was this. I don't care what you do between 8 and 3.30, just don't come home. Uh, now, mind you, she just basically raised 18 kids. So school hours was a vacation time. Come on, somebody. So she was like, I don't care what you're doing, you're getting up out of here. And so there was two main reasons I went to school. Number one, I got a free meal. I was on a hot lunch plan uh, because there were times I would come home and I'm hustling, eating syrup sandwiches, sugar sandwiches, literally just trying to survive. And then I would sit in the back of the room and I would go through kids' book bags and steal their lunches because I was hungry. And so the second reason why I went to school is because I love gym class. Come on, somebody. I don't know what PE is. I went to gym. Right? Old school red dodgeballs, the heavy ones. Come on. You put a print on your face. Right? We, we used to put nurses to work. Come on. And so I loved gym. I picked up a basketball. For me, it became an escape of reality. It didn't matter that I was a kid that had the holes in my shoes on the block. I was a dirty kid. When I got a basketball in my hand, you can hold me. And so basketball became a huge part of my life. Uh, my desk sat next to the teachers. I was a kid that was always suspended. I was a kid that was always in trouble. Um, I, was, I was exposed to a lot of things at a very early age that a 9, 10, 11 year old should have never been exposed to. And so I started game banging, smoking weed, drinking, hanging around the wrong people. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I started selling crack cocaine because I hated being poor. I don't care what anybody says, poverty is not of God. 
Because when you're poor, you do stupid stuff. And I don't believe God wants you to do stupid stuff. And so uh, all the gangbangers in my neighborhood became my heroes um, because there was no Lakes community reaching out where I came from. And so I emulated those who were in front of me. So don't take for lightly why God has this church here. Don't take it for granted. You are the light of this community. You're the hope of this community. So there are a lot of kids looking up to the wrong people because some of us aren't reaching out. And so I didn't have a lakes to say, yo, we doing a kids camp, girls and boys. And so, man, I, I got around the wrong crowd. They didn't want to graduate me to eighth grade um, because I didn't do any work. I would literally come home, throw my books down. I'd be outside to 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and they didn't want to graduate me. So I took a state constitution test. You needed a 75 to pass. I scored a 76, and they graduated me. And so I made it to high school by a complete miracle. My high school was 2,500 kids. My freshman year, I was five foot four inches, maybe 100 pounds. Tried out for the freshman boys basketball team, and I made the team. I ended up starting all four years as a point guard in my high school, and I was the man. No, for real, I was the man. Um, I could do whatever I wanted with whoever I wanted, however I wanted. I was the most popular kid in my high school, 2,500 kids. I was turnabout king, homecoming court, prom court, and I remember at 18 years old, having this void in my heart, thinking if I can get with another girl, if I can smoke another blunt, if I can get drunk again, that it would fill the void in my heart. If I can get in another relationship, it would fill the void in my heart. But the truth of the matter is the void got bigger, and it got bigger, and it got bigger, and it never filled it. And I remember at 18 years old having this thought in my mind, if this is really what life is about, I'm about to be bored because I did it all. And so I was being recruited for basketball. I had a couple D1 schools looking at me. I always wanted to leave Chicago. I was like, I'll take a scholarship to Alaska, send me to Africa, just get me up out of here. I would go anywhere. But I ended up scoring a 14 on my ACT. Raise your hand if you did go to college with a 14 ACT. You better not raise your hand. You ain't going nowhere, just like me. And so all the schools turned their back on me, took a scholarship to a community college. I played one year of basketball there. And when I was 19 years old, I had an encounter that changed my life. My first cousin was a leader of a gang in our neighborhood. He had about 300 kids under him. They carried dope for him. They carried guns for him. Whatever he told them to do, they did. He met this girl one night, walked her home. Her dad locked him in the living room, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. He gave his life to Christ on the spot. His life radically changed. We met at 19. He told me about who Jesus was. I had an encounter with Christ that radically transformed my life. I finished at that community college with an associate's degree, transferred to Olivet Nazarene University, got my bachelor's and master's degree. I'm the first ever in my family to go to college and obtain a college degree. And so now my wife and I serve full time as the team chaplains to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now that is bananas. How does a nappy-haired kid from the projects with no parents, no hope in their future stand to influence the most influential people on the planet? It's called the grace of God. And so some of y'all might be thinking, what does your story have to do with me? We from Muskegon, Michigan. We balling out. We live nice. We drive nice. We got a couple things in common. I'll give you that and I'll get to my message. Number one, you have to die to leave here. Ain't none of us escaping this piece of life. Because you have to die to leave here, the question is, how do you want to be remembered? When you die, people are going to talk about you at your funeral. What do you want them conversations to be? What type of life are you going to live to leave a mark? See, I'm convinced with everything in me that God has you here to leave a mark with your life. You're not here by sheer accident. You're not here just to float around. You're not here to simply exist. God created you to be here for such a time as this. And God is very intentional in what he does. See, the world tells me that I'm an accident, but the world 
the world tells me I'm an accident, but God told me that I've been fearfully and wonderfully made, that he formed me in my mother's womb. So it didn't matter how I got here. It only matters how I finish. So God wants you to leave a mark with your life. Your kids get Martin Luther King Jr. day off of school because that brother left a mark. You pull out cash money right now. Men's faces on the front of money. They left a mark. The brother who had the idea for the pew lived out his potential. Had he not, we will all be sitting Indian style right now on this floor. He left his mark. <clears throat> Every feat in human history has been done by a person. What does that say about you? You have unlimited potential on the inside of you. But what the enemy does, he wants to rob you of your potential. If he can get you stuck in your problem, if he can get you thinking there's no future, then you sit still and you cannot fulfill the destiny that God has for you. Well, I'm here right here to tell you that God has an awesome plan for your life. Some of you right now feel stuck. Some of you have no idea why you're going through what you're going through. Some of you have given up on life. Well, let me tell you something. If you just give God your life, he will do something with it. And so the problem is we never come to the end of ourselves. If you could change yourself, you would have done it a long time ago. You can't. The moment you say, Lord, take my life, I'm telling you. Now, this is a dude coming from nothing, absolutely nothing. For me to stand in front of you today, I must have, something must have happened with my life. So you just need to surrender your life to Christ, and then you get the life that he intended for you. I don't know who that's for, but I feel strong. Just surrender your life to Christ. If you do that, I guarantee you, your life will never be the same, ever. So the first thing we have in common is that we have to die to leave here, and we all are to leave a mark with our life. The second thing we have in common is we are born into sin. You are born a sinner, and it's that sin that separates you from God. I'm not talking about because you don't commit adultery, because you think you're a good person. You say, I don't steal, I don't curse. It's still you're a sinner because it's in your DNA. Because what Adam did in the garden, through human history, there's a thread of sin in the heart of men. Until you become born again, until you get a new heart by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, you are a sinner. Once you submit your heart, you give your life to Christ through confession through your mouth, repentance of your sins, the Bible says you are born again. That word born again literally means God gives you a new heart. So now you can live in the right relationship with God, the intended, before Adam jacked us up. So those two things we have in common. And so that is a decision of your will. You have to decide by your will that I'm going to say yes to the Lord. He ain't going to make you. He didn't tie your shoes this morning. He didn't brush your hair. He didn't comb your hair. He didn't brush your teeth. By your will, you must say yes. And if you do that, I guarantee you 189.999% your life will be changed. But you got to decide. But if you like your life the way it is, you like going through the drama, all the crap, no hope, no future, then just take your life. Just keep it. But let me tell you, if you die in your sin, wanting nothing to do with God, you will live in eternity having nothing to do with God. So you start now. You decide now. That's on you. Don't allow circumstances and situations detour you from the destiny that God has for you. Once again, this is a kid telling you with no parents, no future poverty, gangs, drugs. I'm telling you, I'm your proof. No one in this room can never say they've never seen a miracle. I am a walking miracle. Do you understand me? If God can do that for me, he wants to do it for you. See, God is not a respect of persons. What he make happen for one, he wants to do with another. But only thing he needs from you is a yes.
only thing God needs to transform your life is a surrender. Lord, I surrender. You do that, he will take you on a ride you would never think, thought or imagined. In a million years, I never thought I'd be standing up here talking to you. My only goal in life was to make it to the NBA or become the biggest drug dealer in Chicago. That's it. I had no future for nothing else. When I got recruited for basketball, they was like, what you want to major in? What is a major? I just wanted to hoop. Come on. So this morning, I want to talk to you on the topic of, in the form of a question, are you decreasing? Are you decreasing? Now, I know you guys are walking through the book of Luke right now. So we're going to start there. We're in Luke 3. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke 3. Luke chapter 3. And I'm going to start in verse 2. Luke 3, starting in verse 2. It says, While Annas and Caiaphas, Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region. Everyone say, all the region. He went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance. So what was John's message to the region? A baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse 7, jump down to verse 7. Then he said to the multitude, everyone say multitudes. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Verse 10. So the people, everyone say the people. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. So we see John preaching to the multitudes. We see John preaching to the people. Now, verse 12, then tax collectors. Everyone say tax collectors. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. So we see John talk to the multitudes. We see him preach to the people. We see him preach to the tax collectors, and now look at 14. Likewise, the soldiers. Everyone say soldiers. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So we see John speaking to multitudes. We see John speaking to people. We see John speaking to tax collectors. We see John speaking to soldiers. John was the man. This brother preached to everybody. And he became popular really fast. Come on. John became popular really fast. He is throughout the region preaching to multitudes, preaching to people, tax collectors, soldiers, all the, all the influences he's speaking to. So if I was John, I would have been walking around with deep swag like, yo, I'm the man. Like, y'all can't hold me. No, I'm the man. But he didn't do that. Verse 15 says, Now as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ. So this brother's so strong, they thinking this might be Jesus. 
Jesus, yo. This might be the Christ. Could this be? Now, if I was John, you know what I mean? I might have had some pride issues like, yo, I got multitudes, you know what I'm saying? I'm preaching to, I'm preaching to tax collectors. I'm preaching to everybody. Matter of fact, they, they thinking I'm the Christ. But John didn't do that. If we go over to the book and don't go there, if we go to John, we'll see this scenario happening in a different scene. Kind of the same thing. Some men come to him and say, yo, John, this Jesus dude, they, he's baptizing more people than you. In other words, his popularity is going a little higher than yours. And then John utters these words in John 3.30. He said this, I must decrease, but he must increase. I must decrease, but he must increase. See, you got to realize this. Even though John was the man according to the world, even though people wanted to put him on this pedestal, give him titles, yes, he was preaching to everybody. He had one thing in his heart and one thing on his mind. I got to decrease my life. My life isn't about me. I got to make sure that Jesus is exalted in my life. Now, that's amazing. Now, if you look at John's resume, if John was going for a job to be a pastor, this brother's resume was impeccable. Real talk. John's resume was no joke. You know, every almost nearly one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books of the Bible talks about John. Let's just see what Matthew had to say about John. This, this is resume. Let's, let's start with Matthew. Let's start with Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says that he was a preacher. Verse 2, he preached repentance. Verse 3, Isaiah prophesied about him. Here it is, hundreds of years earlier, and Isaiah is talking about John. If there ain't no reason to elevate your life, I don't know what else is. You come to me be like, yo, what you saying? Man, I can show you Isaiah was talking about me a long time ago. No, he didn't do it. He humbled himself. He decreased in his life. He, verse 5 says he was a baptizer of those who repented of their sins. Verses 7 through 10 in Matthew say he spoke the truth no matter the cost. Look at his resume. Verse 11, he recognized the majesty and assignment of Jesus Christ. We think of Peter was the man. Who do men say that I am? You are Christ, the son of the living God. Oh man, Peter got stars on his chest. John the Baptist knew that way before John was a disciple. Remember, Jesus coming, and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist had the first revelation of who Jesus was. The man. All he had to do is like, yo, I had that revelation. I said that. I'm the man. We did it all the time. We walk in our title and what we do more than the title of being the redeemed. We'll be proud to tell people that I'm a manager, that I'm a boss, that I make this much, that I drive this, that I live here. John the Baptist never put titles in front of his name. He just wanted to exalt Jesus. My question to you this morning, how are you decreasing in your life? It'll take you about five questions to figure out of what I do. So I'll be on the plane. So what you do? Um, I'm, I'm a speaker. Oh, yeah. So what you speak about? Uh, I speak about the Bible. Like, oh, so you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a pastor. So where you pastor at? Uh, I really don't pastor the church. Oh, so I'm... I passed a pro athletes. Oh, really? So what do you, I'm an NFL chaplain. It takes about five times to get that. Why? Because my title don't matter. I don't care what my title is. The only thing I care about is taking men's lives and putting their hands in the hands of Jesus. 
That's the only thing that matters to you. My title means nothing. Yeah, I have favors for my title. People look at me different because of my title. But you ask Aaron right now from the day he met me to the day to day, I am still the same divorce. My title hasn't changed at all because I don't give a rip. Why? I know what God brought me from. I'm not naive to where I came from. I'm not naive to what God's grace has done in my life. So, by man, anything necessary by the, my own little strength, I stay humble as much as I can because it ain't about me. How am I using my platform to influence lives for Christ? This is all John the Baptist is doing. He's taking his title and pointing them to the Messiah. So here he is. That's just what Matthew said about him. Let's look what John said about him. Look at what John said. Are y'all with me? Because it is quiet in this Catholic church this morning. What did John say about the brother? John 1 verse 15 says he will be great in the sight of the Lord. John told his brother, spoke, he going to be great. He going to be doing big things. Come on. Verse 15 of John says he didn't drink. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. That brother got filled with the Spirit as a baby. Leaping, tap dancing in his mama room, mama's womb. Come on. Water bed and all. That brother had a water bed, free cable, free food. Verse 16 said he turned the children of Israel to the Lord. Verse 17 of John says he walked in the power and spirit of Elijah. Do you know what Elijah did in his life? Come on. That brother prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. That's some prayer. Come on. The Bible didn't say he tied dance, he threw rocks in the air, he slid down a hill. No, that brother just said no rain and it did not rain. That's power. Then Three and a half years go by, he prays and it rains. That's power. Right? What else did Elijah do? He's on a Mount Carmel, right? Remember all the 400 plus uh, false prophets? You know, this, let's just slap up this, this, this uh, offering. Let's throw some water on it. Let's do whatever we can, right? Elijah prays and fire comes down from heaven. Fire. Come on. Then this brother, remember, he lived with the widow, gave that woman an unlimited debit card to Walmart. <laughs> remember that? Remember when he raised her son from the dead? Y'all remember? Do y'all read your Bible? This is Elijah. The Bible says that John the Baptist walked in the same power. Come on, he is the man. But he is diverting that to exalt Christ. He had every right to exalt himself, but he didn't. I must decrease that he might increase. It's all about him. Come on. What did Luke say about him? Luke 3 verse 2 said he spent time with God in the, alone in the wilderness. Come on, that brother sought God's heart. What else? Verse 3 said he obeyed immediately once God spoke to him. Remember, if you read Luke, told him to get up and go, that brother got up and left. Why? Because delayed obedience to God is disobedience. Verse 18, he was an exhorter. So John was the man. But he never put his title 
above the majesty of Jesus. And same with us. We must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves. The Bible says, he who humbles himself, God will exalt. Don't seek a promotion from your boss. You fall in love with Jesus and you serve your boss the way God wants you to, promotion will come. Don't seek to be in first place. Those, come on. If you want to be first, you're going to be last. And the last shall be first. It speaks of humility. Just humble yourself. If the world can see us as humble, if the world can see us as loving, if the world can see us as giving, if the world can see us as nurturing, it'd be easy for us to win the world. It's easy. All right, so I live in a cul-de-sac. I am the only black person on my block. Only one. God took me from the projects to a cul-de-sac. Do you hear me? So if you're looking at my home, to the left of me is a brother named Jim. And, and we, I got a pretty large backyard. Blessed be the name of Jesus. You know, I didn't see grass for the first time. The greenest grass I ever saw in my life is when I went to Olivet. Ain't that crazy? Anyway, so I got a lot of yard. From start to finish to cut my grass is about an hour and 15 minutes. So John, on a Saturday, happened to be cutting his grass the same time that I do. Now, my backyard goes up on the hill, then it levels off, and there's a whole bunch of trees down to a creek. So the hill from my, my yard runs all the way through my yard to John's yard to my man's Jeremy yard to another yard. I don't know the fourth neighbor yet, right? So I'm cutting the grass. I'm finishing up my yard, and, and I look over, and Jim's gone. I'm like, man, maybe he ran in and got some water. Maybe, you know, it was hot that day. It was summer. You feel me? So I'm finishing my yard. About another 30 minutes later, he still ain't there. And I'm sweating. Then edge my yard. Come on, fellas. How good you feel when the yard's cut? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Greatest feeling ever. You feel like you just changed the world. <laughs> I finished cutting my yard. I'm walking to my garage to put my lawnmower up. And I hear God say, cut his grass. I was like, <laughs> cut his grass. I'm about to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Come on, somebody. <laughs> cut his grass. So I cut his grass. Another 30 minutes cutting grass. You know how tired I was? So um, about 10, 15 minutes later, um, I hear the doorbell ring. I'm in my towel, just about to hop in the shower. And I'm looking over the banister, and it's John. And this brother works for Keebler. He came over with a big old box of cookies I ain't even heard of yet. They ain't even hit the market. I'm talking about like cupcake sprinkle cookies. Have y'all heard those? I'm telling you, they're good too. So here's John with this box of cookies and snacks, right? I had the first um, club cracker minis before they hit the market. Come on, somebody. So here's this brother with this big old box of stuff saying, man, you, you didn't have to do that. Thank you so much. I was like, John, it's no problem. I just want to let you know that God loves you. Simple thing to cut his grass. Come on. To win people is so easy. So that's my neighbor to the left. The neighbor to the right is a police officer. Come on. Now, I moved in right at all the time all these shootings of brothers was happening by police officers. So in my mind, I'm like, yo, I ain't finna say nothing to this dude. 
You live your life, I'm going to live mine. But no, God spoke to me and said, do something for him that you would do for yourself. I love me. I love doing cool stuff for myself. Come to find out, this, this dude is the biggest Bengals fan. Biggest Bengals fan. He's got like the uh, cornhole, uh, what, what they call, the things with the holes in them, what they call? Cornholes. He got the, they're Bengals. Right? I mean, he got all this bingo. I ain't know that. So I get tickets eight rows up right behind our tunnel. Come on. Great seats. Right? Here, man, I just want to bless you. Let you know that God loves you. See, the world says I should have beef with this brother. But the kingdom says love your neighbor. See, all we got to do is love people to win them. See, I have an agenda. They're going to see something in me that they've never seen from a black man in the suburbs before. Come on, somebody. I don't have to live the way the world tells me to. I don't have to succumb to the pressure of what the world says. No, we walk by faith and not by sight. See, my job is to give the world a picture of Christ the best of my ability by his mercy and grace. Now, I'm not going to do that perfectly, but I'm not going to quit either. And this should be the same for you and I. John's whole motive for walking in life was to give the world, pave the way for the Messiah. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus cannot come on the scene until John the Baptist started his ministry? Did you know that? All right. What did Jesus say about John? So we saw what Matthew said about John. We saw what Mark said about John. We saw what Luke said about John. What did Jesus say about John? John chapter 12, verse 1 through 6 says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived, the man whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Isn't that amazing? This brother went from the grave to the table. That'll preach. It was prophetic. We're going to eat at the Lamb's Supper. Come on, from death to life. Man, if I was if y'all was watching the Lions game, y'all be going crazy. <laughs> they ain't even good. <laughs> I'm about preaching better than the Lions play. <laughs> y'all staring me down like I'm crazy. Maybe I am crazy. I'm crazy for Jesus. Look at this. There, they gave a dinner for him. This brother went from death to the dinner table. Man, if that ain't encouraging, I don't know what else is. Same with some of you today. He wants you to go from death to life. If you don't know him, you walk, you'll walk in dead. Watch as many episodes as you want. Martha served... I'm at the wrong verse. Man, let me go back up. <laughs> this is Luke 7, 24 through 28. This is Jesus' opinion about John. We're going to get back to that verse, so hold that. When the messages of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. This is Jesus. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled 
and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Excuse me. I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Jesus is about to find the place in the Bible where it's talked about John. Where's the other time we see Jesus do this? Luke 4, 18. The Bible says Jesus found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To pre-. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Jesus found the place where it was written of himself. He just found a place where it's written of John. This is the highest praise you can probably get as a man on earth. If Jesus is saying this about you. Are y'all with me? My God, I am preaching better than y'all saying Amen. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus just said there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now, listen, if John the Baptist was alive today, he would shut social media down. Come on. That brother baptized Jesus. Come on. Baptized. Yo, he had every right to be the man. Yo, I baptized the son. I baptized God. I baptized God. Like the creator of heaven and earth. The one who made your ancestors, the Abraham that y'all love, the Isaac and Jacob that y'all love. I baptized that brother. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. He was God. He was fully man and he was fully God. John baptized that brother. So could you imagine if you put that on IG? That's Instagram. <laughs> yep, that's, that's Instagram, some of you guys. He will shut it down. You go on IG to try and follow John the Baptist, you're like, ding, 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 ding. Sorry, too many followers. <laughs> shut it down. Facebook, shut it down. Twitter, shut it down. Come on, somebody. But he didn't, and he would have never, because he said, I must decrease, that he must increase. John's life was not about him. So here's John the Baptist, paved the way for Jesus to start his ministry. Do you realize how valuable you are to the next generation? There are people waiting on you. You have wisdom to give. This generation needs to see you serve. They need to see you give. They need to see you sacrifice. They need to see you raise your hands in worship. They need to see that you're a tither and giver. You're going to let Kanye be the example? You're going to let Wiz Khalifa? You're going to let Kendrick Lamar be the example? You're going to let Beyonce be the example? Because if you don't do nothing, they're going to look somewhere else. So here is John. Jesus is on the edge of his seat. He's God ready to touch lives and he can't do it until John shows up. It wasn't like Jesus was just twiddling his thumbs walking through life. No, he was ready. But he couldn't because it was prophesied that he would pave the way. When all the region came to him, all the people, tax collectors, soldiers, the baptism of repentance is what shed the heart to receive the gospel. They ain't going to teach you in your doctrine. There's three different baptisms in the Bible. 
There's a baptism of repentance. There's a Christian baptism. Man, I, let me just get out the way. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. So when, once they were baptized, now the words that Jesus spoke can penetrate the hearts. That's why you must repent to accept Jesus. You must turn away in your mind and in your life say, I'm turning away from who I was and I choose to walk in who I'm called and destined to be. And that's in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Once you do that, life really begins. Until you do that, you're not living life. You might think your life is good, but it's not God's best. I want God's best. You should want God's best for your life. You should want God's will for your life. You should want God's plan for your life. He knows you. The Bible says that all of your days are written in the book. Everything, decision you make, the person you marry, where you live, it's all written. The question is, are you going to meet the, one, the author and finisher of our faith? He wrote it. He has an expectation that we will live it out. That's on us, not him. It's our will. It's our decision. Here's John the Baptist. Could have been like, yo, Jesus, what? No, I'm the man. Everybody love me. I'm baptizing. I'm on the forefront door. You could just chill. No, I must decrease. That he must increase. I mu he said, I must decrease. Now, how much of us? How, how many of us really given our life for Jesus? How many of us in this church know we should be serving? No, we'd rather go play golf. We, no, we'd rather spend time on our car for three and a half hours. We won't come to, we won't call pastor and say, can you open up the church for an hour so we can spend time praying for the community? No. We go to the, the classic car show. We'll gossip. We'll talk about each other. Talk about each other behind our back. We, we won't help the single mom. We'll judge her because of what she was to church. We'll judge her because she got kids by multiple dads. Instead of loving them. Instead of meeting them where they're at. Instead of telling them there's hope. Instead of helping them and walking through life with them saying it don't have to be this way. We'll let the teen isolate themselves because what they wear and how they dress. Jesus died for them. We don't have a right to judge them. We don't have a right to look down at somebody because of what they look on the outside. If you look at John on the outside, that brother was nothing. He wore camel skin and ate locusts. He who was without sin cast the first stone. What if God began putting a magnifying glass on your personal life and revealing it to everybody? How would that make you feel? But we'll talk down about other people. We'll talk about pastor behind his back. We'll say what we don't like. I wouldn't do it that way. That's why you're not the pastor. My God. Don't invite me back, Aaron. I don't even care. <laughs> so we must decrease in our life. Let me give you one example of when you choose to increase your own life. When you hold on to your life instead of giving it up, when you walk in pride instead of embracing humility, there's consequences. Do you know we are in the state we are in in sin because of pride? Back to that story in John 12, 1 through 6. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived, the man from whom Jesus raised from the dead. 
There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a litron, or jar, of very expensive perfume that was made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair, and the house became filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas, one of his disciples, isn't that amazing? Let me tell you guys something. Every verse here in the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that men were born alone by the Holy Spirit who penned the Bible. Every scripture in the Bible is there intentionally. Now, you can get shallow water, right? You take your two-year-old, you don't want them going in 12 feet. The Bible can be shallow or it can be 12 feet. It's depending on how much you want to dig. It's so rich, it's so deep, it's so wide. But you got to be hungry for it. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Listen, God ain't making nobody hungry. I can't find one scripture that God will make a man hungry. The Bible says that Jesus stand at the door and knocks. If you open the door, he'll come in. Now, Jesus ain't kicking doors down. No. Why? Because when you will to want to be with him, it's pleasing to him because he knows that you want to be with him because you want to be. Not because he make you. That's a boring relationship. That's what Muslims do. That's why it's so demonic. If you're not like us, if you don't worship the God we worship, we're going to kill you. That's demonic. No, Jesus said those who hunger and thirst, thirst shall be filled. He, he stands at the door and knocks. If you come to me, come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden. Come to, just come. I'm bidding you. I'm asking you. He's not grabbing people by the arms and pulling them. He's a gentleman, ladies. Jesus is the greatest gentleman you'll ever meet. He won't lie to you. He won't deceive you. He's not a player. He's not an adulterer. He loves you and wants to meet you where you're at. He's loving. He's kind. He's giving. He's sacrificial. He's loving. So here's Judas, one of his disciples who was going to betray him, asked, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the destitute? He said this not because he cared about the destitute, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag. It was still what was put into it. Now, I'm tired of this church thought philosophy that Jesus was poor. Man, Jesus wasn't poor. That brother had paper. Why do you have a personal account on your staff if you ain't got no money? What is he counting? Rocks? What would happen if Jesus showed up in Muskegon and raised your mama from the dead? Healed your child of cancer? Cast out the demons from your brother? What would you give for that? Everything. I would have been throwing my offering at his feet. That brother wasn't broke. So here's Judas, the thief, stealing money. Now this amazes me. Why did that brother betray him for 30 pieces? Now, this is just my theory. 
just give you my this ain't Bible. This ain't this ain't in the in the Nazarene handbook. Why would you betray Jesus for 30 pieces? Raising the dead alone is at least 500 denarii. <laughs> Casting out a demon, oh, that's about 500. Come on. Feeding 5,000 men, not including women and children, that's about another 500. At least. Why 30? I'm convinced that Judas stole all the time. So what he would do is replace the money so because he would have to give an account to it. So he's short 30 pieces, so that's what he betrays Jesus for. 30. Other than that, it makes no sense why only 30. Now, Peter would have been worth 30. John, maybe 35. Luke would have been about 40. He was a doctor. But Jesus, 30? Now, what's also interesting about this, that God, that Jesus himself drafted Judas on his team knowing he was a thief. If that don't give you and I hope, I don't know what else is. Come on, I'm talking about first round, first pick. God does not have second round picks. Matter of fact, God does not have first round, second picks. Every person born again into the kingdom of God is the first round, first pick. Because of the blood. Come on, somebody. So here's Judas drafted on the team knowing he would betray him, and he did it anyway. Thank God for his grace in our life. I was a thief. Do you hear me? When I was a kid, you know how I made money besides selling drugs? I would take four bikes and four of my friends, put them on the handlebars, we'll go to the suburbs, steal bikes, and come back with four more. Do you hear me? I would take all those bikes apart, scrape off the serial numbers, spray paint them all, and I would resell them. I would go to the bars, I would go to the clubs, bowling alleys, and grocery stores, breaking people's cars and stealing money. Don't leave your purse open around me. It was a done deal. So I get saved. God changed my life, and now I'm working at a car wash. I detail cars for four years. You know how much money you can find under the seat of cars? <laughs> so here I am. God's working on my character. We will be busy as all get out, 10, 15 cars deep. I will shut the whole line down because as soon as I saw a bill, I will pick it up and take it to the customer. And you know what I'm saying in my mind under my tongue? I'm a new creature in Christ. All things I pass away, behold. I'm a new creature in Christ. All things I pass away, behold, all things become new. I'm a new creature in Christ. All things I pass away, behold, all things become new. God is more interested in your character than your platform. If I did not pass the test of stealing, I would not be in front of you today. Just because God saved you the way that you were, he does not intend for you to stay the same. We got to allow his word to change us, his grace to change us. And so nine times out of ten, when I would take that money to the customer, at the end, when I bring that card, that would be my tip. I will leave work with the most tips. Because God blessed it. Because I wanted to honor him. 
And for many of you might be simple. I don't steal pens. I would be eight, ten miles away and see I had a pen and turn around and take it back. It's the little things. It's always the little things. If you wonder why you're stuck in your life, evaluate the little things. I have to decrease in my life. So here's Judas, wanted to increase his life, and he got decreased. Judas was sent out when the 12 was sent out, when the 70 was sent out, healings, raising the dead, casting out demons. Judas was among them, but he had no heart for Jesus. Just because you come to church does not mean you know Christ. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years and didn't know him. Our proof that we know Jesus is that our character changes. When you read Galatians 5, those are character issues. The fruit of the Spirit is character. It's not personality. It's not status. It's not because you're on the board. It's not because you have influence. It's character. Are you decreasing in your life? Are you choosing to lay your life down for the one who gave you life? Every head bow, every eye closed in this place. No one looking around. Everyone close your eyes and bow your heads. If you are here this morning and you say you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I'm not talking about Savior. Many people know Jesus as Savior, but have you made him Lord? If he's Lord of your life, you obey his every command. Have you come to the end of yourself and say, I, said, I surrender to Jesus? Have you given him your complete heart, your complete life? I want to invite you to do that today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up. I just want to include you in a prayer. If you're here this morning and you say, I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, but you want to make that decision today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to three. One, two, three. Thank you. Leave them up. Nothing to be ashamed of. Leave them up. You can put them down. Now, I need you by faith to repeat this prayer after me. And as a matter of fact, I need all of us to do it so that these individuals can feel like family. There's no fear here. There's no guilt here. There's only love here. In this decision that you're about to make, I need you to mean it in your heart, and I need you to pray after me. So let's pray this as a family. Say, Father in heaven, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of a Lord. I believe Jesus Christ came to the earth and died for my sins. He was buried in the grave. He was there three days, yet he rose again for me. From this day forward, I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And I will never be the same from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to welcome you to the family of God. Come on. 
a couple things really quick as Aaron comes. The Bible says you've been born again. Now, the whole world going to tell you or attempt to detour you from the decision that you made. As a matter of fact, I can't promise you that life will get better right away, but I will promise you this, that God will be there every step. And so I challenge you to give the house of God one year of your life. Every time the doors are open, be here. Get involved in the life of the church. Surround yourself with the right people. And I'm telling you, your life will springboard like never before. Number two, don't let no one convince you of the decision you made. They can have their own opinion. They can say what they want, but don't let nobody rob you from your new life. It's a promise that he's given you new life. And let me tell you, Jesus can't lie. As a matter of fact, my life scripture is Numbers 23, 19. For God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it? Has he spoken it? Would he not make it good? The Bible also says that it's impossible for God to lie. So he is just now giving you new life. I am encouraging you to walk in it. And you have people around here in this room that's willing to walk through life with you so that you can become everything God called you to become. Amen? Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. Would you stand with me this morning as we prepare to leave? Um, as you leave this day, maybe that we recognize this weekend where we, we desperately desire to connect with God and connect with one another. May we recognize that it isn't just something we do once a year or for a couple days every so often. But it's a life we're invited to live every single day and every moment of every day. So may you go this day recognizing that the grace of God goes before us, is in us, and transforms us. So may we become more and more the people of God. May you go this day knowing that he loves you. together with